Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zuc- Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Park Chicago. Glad to have all of you here with us on this action-packed show here tonight. The reports early indicate that the Bears have two suitors for their first overall pick. People discuss and explain why they should be giving up a king's ransom for that slot. As we talked about before, we'll discuss it more in detail coming up. David Montgomery says he still wants to be a Bear, but the question is, will the price be right? We will discuss. Major League Baseball has become little. Major League Baseball, I'll tell you all about that later on. Plus, the Bulls made no moves at the trade deadline, and I think Arturis Karnaschobas is just a new reiteration of Garpax. Thank you all for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at John Z Sports, Instagram John Z Sports, and Facebook John Z We are live everywhere, Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube. All at Sports Talk Chicago. If you're consuming us and watching us tonight on YouTube, would really appreciate a thumbs up, appreciate a comment, and a subscription on the road to 20,000 subscribers. Um, appreciate all that you guys do. Live chat is open, too, so make sure you comment in there. John Meadows tonight directing and producing, doing everything behind the scenes, and we are presented by our great sponsor, as always, Amish Country Farms. For the best Amish food in all of the Chicagoland area, imports weekly from the Amish of northern Indiana. Help out a family farm and help out real food coming to you straight from the Amish. It's Amish Country Farms. Tell them Sports Talk Chicago sent you. Feel free to visit them in Orland Park today. <clears throat> I want to start today with this. Value, as we see it, all depends on circumstances and situation. Give you a great example of this, and many of you men out there, married men, probably know what I'm going to be talking about. The diamond industry is a complete monopoly. <laughs> De Beers monopolized it way back in the 1930s. They put out marketing to suggest that you need to put in three months' salary in order to buy a wedding ring. But what is a diamond? At the end of the day, it's a piece of rock. <laughs> it means nothing. What matters behind it is the marketing and, of course, the rarity that it is because it's all cooped up by one company. There's value there. Not necessarily because it's something really nice, it's a big, hot commodity, but because of the circumstances and the situation surrounding it. Well, it's a lot of money to get a diamond ring, especially these days. There's a reason why. The number one overall pick in the NFL as of late, and even throughout generations, has not always produced the best player in a draft. How many busts have we seen and talked about over the years? How many guys were the number one overall pick and just didn't live up to their expectations? Weren't necessarily busts, but weren't superstars either. Baker Mayfield, maybe. There's one. Ryan Leaf was a total bust. Jarakus Russell, another bust. We could go on and on and on and go through the list. But the point is, there's that possibility that you might get it right. There are a couple of number one overall picks that do make it big, that do make something happen, that change franchises. So there's intrigue. 
Got that covered. <laughs> the marketing aspect. But the other question is the neediness, <laughs> the opportunity that comes along with it. Which teams are going to be needy enough to move up to take that number one overall pick? Which teams are willing to give up whatever it takes to get that top spot? Because they know if they get it, they're going to draft a quarterback and make a big franchise-altering decision. There's the circumstance and the situation. That number one overall pick is worth way more to Indianapolis or Houston than Green Bay or Vegas, even. Los Angeles, the two teams there. It's not because the pick is different or something's different with the pick. The pick itself has not changed. But what's changed is the team's neediness, the circumstances, the value that comes with the number one overall pick. So I saw this report this morning, and it made me think of all this stuff. Uh, Colts owner Jim Irsay has come out, and he said that he wants to trade up for a quarterback. According to Albert Breer, Colts owner Jim Irsay may have tipped his team's hand saying Indy favored an offensive coach, knowing we're going to have to find a young QB to develop. Indy's got the fourth pick. Asked if there's a QB at the top of the draft they want, would he give up heaven and earth to trade up and get him? And Ballard said, yes, I do whatever it takes. That was the GM. Colts are going to be all in. And now a new report came out late, actually only a few hours ago, saying that the Texans indeed want a quarterback with that number two overall pick. They are targeting a quarterback. So we got two teams within the top five who want a quarterback, and the team that has that number one overall pick doesn't need a quarterback and is willing to listen to offers to make a deal and make a trade. See what I'm getting at here? See what I mean? <laughs> the Bears are De Beers. <laughs> they have a monopoly and that number one overall pick. They can command the world for that pick, and some team, some sucker, is going to be willing to pay so much for it. And it's up to the Bears to make the right move. And for Ryan Poles to command enough in return to help out the Bears, not just this year, but next year and the year after that. The Bears and the Beers. Sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? Same idea. See what I mean? It's all about value. It's all about circumstances. It's all about situation. Nothing changes with that pick because you can draft anybody. It's a total crapshoot. What you are doing, if you're the coach of the Texans, is you're moving up to take a big swing. You're either going to hit a home run or swing and a miss and whiff. You're training up for a 50% chance at changing your franchise for the next 10 to 15 years. That's it. That's all you're doing. And the Bears have the ability now to command so much for that. They have to exploit it to the core, to the point where you're forcing a team like Indianapolis or Houston to give up three or four first-rounders for that pick alone. Or a couple of first-rounders, second-rounder, third-rounder, first-rounder next year for that pick alone. That's exciting. And if you're a Bears fan, you should be overwhelmed with joy and enthusiasm that not only this year, but next year, even the year after, the Bears could be set in the draft already just because of this pick today. What I find really odd is that both these teams have already come out and said they want quarterbacks. This is either going to be the great, greatest smokescreen ever seen, or both teams are being damn serious. And I'll tell you what, hard for me to believe it's a smokescreen of both teams' quarterback play was subpar this past season. Colts went through three different quarterbacks. Texans did too. 
Texans have given up on Davis Mills, who had a really good rookie year, better than Justin Fields' rookie year. And the Colts went through Matt Ryan, who threw too many picks, Nick Foles, who got hurt, and Sam Ellinger, who's a bust. So what now? Both teams want a quarterback. Time for the Bears to make something happen. And I think this is one of the most exciting times to be a Bears fan, probably for the next couple of years, if not generations to come. This is your golden opportunity. This is a generational opportunity. We've talked about this before, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the Bears have to use the number one overall pick for it to be a generational opportunity. This could lead to generational wealth. You trade the top pick, you fleece Texas or Houston, you fleece the Colts, all of a sudden... You're bringing back a haul in return to the point where you're set up for the next three to five years in the draft? It's very possible. I think we have to remember that this is what it all comes down to. This is what it all goes back to for the Bears and what it all goes back to for teams like Indianapolis and Houston. In my opinion, it was very stupid of both teams to already have reports, and even especially for the Colts and their GM and owner to come out and say we need a quarterback. Arce said last week during a press conference, who's that guy from Alabama? I like him. That young QB from Alabama. Talking about Bryce Young. They are making it painfully obvious what they want to do. And they know where the Bears stand and what the Bears are probably going to be commanding for that top spot. And good for them if they're willing to really trade and help out their fan base. That's nice. But the Bears have to take advantage of this situation. And now there are two credible reports already coming out saying both teams want and need quarterback. Keyword need. They do. This is exciting. And again, I say this to Ryan Poles. Just don't screw it up, and you're fine. Command a haul in return. You're going to get it because both teams are so needy, and it's going to happen. you, there's so many similarities to the diamond industry. And maybe that's maybe maybe there's a reason why I say the diamond industry, because when you give somebody a diamond, right? You give a girl a diamond ring, propose, she thinks it's the best thing ever. You get married and things go well. Same kind of here. Although it's a 50-50 shot at if you're gonna hit it out of the park or not. But if the draft pick turns out to be good, you trade it up, you, you gave up a lot, you spent a lot of money. But in return, the next 10 to 15 years for your franchise are going to be unbelievable. Bryce Young is a generational quarterback talent. That's a fact. I would still not be opposed if the Bears drafted him, but let's say they don't. I don't think they will. Another team will win and hit it big by drafting Bryce Young. 100%. Whether it's Indianapolis or Houston, somebody's going to win big when they draft him. And now that Houston says they want a quarterback, if you're the Colts, you got to be psyched out by that. You can't just trade, you know, with, with, you have to go all the way up to number one now. Houston has number two. They're going to stay there. You're going to have to compete with Houston to move up from four to one. They're going to try to move up from two to one. There's going to be a bidding war potentially for that top pick. And if you're Ryan Poles, I would sit back, put my feet on my desk, and let them talk all day long until somebody makes the right offer that you could take to help out your franchise, the Bears. It's pretty exciting stuff. I just think when it all goes back to value, these statements that are coming out, these reports that have come out within the past 24 hours, 
greatly increases the value of that pick already, and nothing's happened and nothing's changed. And that's why I said it goes back to the diamond industry. Diamonds are a piece of rock. Nothing crazy, nothing nice. It's a rock, mineral, and the earth. But one company monopolized it and marketed it to the point where everybody needs this thing. Everybody needs it. If you don't have it, your wife hates you, right? Well, what about in this case? There are two teams who desperately need a quarterback. They're willing to give up everything for it. So what are the Bears going to do? They're going to market the hell out of that first overall pick. Ryan Poles going to be crashing the phones, listening to other offers, and eventually the Bears will make the right deal at the right price and get back everything they need in return. They're going to force a team to give up three months of salary, a.k.a. years of picks, and make sure that they win the trade. The Bears and the Bears, they're the same. And the situation could not be more parallel. I want to get to your comments here. A lot of comments about Matt Nagy, of course. Maybe I'll talk about that briefly and address that situation. Yes, Matt Nagy won the Super Bowl, and yes, I am still very disappointed about them. I'm sure many of you who follow me on social media or on here, I put it in our community, I was not happy to see him win. Saw him today. He actually rescued Patrick Mahomes from falling off the uh, parade bus. Matt Nagy was over there rescuing Mahomes from falling off. Nagy was like trying to lead a chant. Lead a, I've never seen him more happy. And then Mahomes was drinking and he had some goggles on, almost fell off the bus. So I guess credit to Matt Nagy for almost saving his life. But as far as Matt Nagy himself, I'm not a fan. Oh, what a great job. Matt Nagy helped coach the Chiefs to a Super Bowl. If Matt Nagy was there or wasn't there this season, they still would have won the Super Bowl. Guarantee it. What did he do? What what value did he bring to totally change the situation in KC? They were just in the Super Bowl. What did he do there? What what does he do there? Can anybody explain to me what he does do there? Does anybody have inside knowledge in KC of what exactly he does on a day-to-day basis besides get coffee for Andy Reid? I'm sick of hearing about Matt Nagy. Oh, goodness. Do I miss Matt Nagy yet? Hell no. Goodbye, Matt Nagy. People won't like hearing this, but I just don't see Fields ever winning a Super Bowl, even with talent around him. Be wicked coming from the top rope. You know, I get what you're saying, and I will say this, and and there's a reason why I can entertain your comment, okay? And everybody else should, too. We have not seen Fields yet with a great roster, great coaching, great situation. We've seen him with what he what what we what he's been with, right? So we don't know what he's going to do when the right situation finally arises. That's a fair question. I think if you build the right team around him and he's still controllable contract wise, where he's not killing your cap, there is a possibility for him to win a Super Bowl, but it's going to take a lot around him to get to that point. Starts the old line, transitions to wide receivers, then defensive line, you need better defense too. A lot of holes on this team, which we talk about. We're going to continue to talk about throughout free agency and the draft. A lot of things do need to change for the Bears before we get to that point. So, be wicked. Your concerns are somewhat warranted. Never thought I'd see a shoe salesman kiss a trophy until Nagy's loser ass did this year. King T with the comment of the night so far. You know, be wicked, you bring up such a great point, though, um, about Justin Fields and about players around him, right? There are many weapons the Bears have to invest in this season. Now, one of them 
that we haven't talked about much because we just all assume it's going to be okay, but might not be, is running back. So David Montgomery is back in the mix, back in the news. He has confirmed his desire to stay with the Bears. He said, quote, I'm excited for free agency. I love the Bears, love the organization, love how the city treated me. They got a good thing going over there, and I hope I'll be back. When asked about other teams that pique his interest in free agency, Montgomery kept it vague, seemingly focused on sticking with his current team. Quote, I really just try to see where I'm at right now, not trying to look too far ahead. I just try to take it one day at a time and be present with where I am, be where my feet are. These are new comments from uh, David Montgomery about his contract situation. Reports indicate that he may want up to $10 million per year in a new contract with the Bears. I have a lot of opinions on this, so I'm glad we have some time to discuss it here today. I'm glad that David Montgomery made these comments. It's a conflicting situation, and for the right price, it would be right to pay David Montgomery, but for the wrong price, it could be a complete disaster. Let me tell you why. Now, Montgomery has been a very productive two-dimensional running back for the Bears. There is value in that. I like two-dimensional running backs. I like a guy who could run and catch the football. David Montgomery, too, is a very good downhill runner. He's not quick and speedy like a Tariq Cohen or Khalil Herbert. He just runs. You give him the football, you know you're getting four yards, breaks tons of tackles, moves through the offensive line, does a really good job. I think he's very talented. I think there's value, and I think he's a very good player who deserves some sort of contract extension or a raise. Here's the problem, though. The Bears have a lot of running backs. And the question really is going to be, this will determine whether or not the Bears re-sign David Montgomery. What is their plan at the running back position? you got David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, Darrington Evans, Preston Ebner, four running backs on the roster right now, not to mention the Bears being connected to other running backs, like potentially Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, maybe other low-level one-year type guys they could bring in and make something happen with. The Bears could have five running backs on the roster come training camp with Montgomery. Is it worth paying somebody $10 million to carry the football 200 times or 150 times? Maybe the Bears have a running back by committee. Maybe Matt Eberflus wants two or three guys. Each of them get 150 carries. Remember, Justin Fields is not running the football, too. He was a 1,000-yard rusher this season. There's another element in it. So now you may have six, quote-unquote, running backs, if you include Fields and Montgomery himself. Six running backs potentially on this roster come training camp, and Montgomery may want $10 million. Now, you tell me, is that worth it? My answer is no. And I love David Montgomery. I think he's a talented running back. But if he's going to command $10 million when the Bears already have a plethora of running backs already there, plus the potential to sign somebody else, I don't know if it's worth paying him that much money. You need to get something out of what you're paying for. Bears are only going to use him 150, 200 times on the ground. What's the point of paying him $10 million? And the old adage is you never pay a running back. I'm okay with paying Montgomery three years and $27 million. Something along those lines is fine with me. But if you're going to pay him some big contract or if he's commanding a huge contract, you can't do it either. Look at Ezekiel Elliott. Top running back in the game, commands a huge deal. Now he's sharing carries with Tony Pollard. Can't even 
comprehend or, or handle a full running back load. That's pretty pathetic for Zeke. If we remember what he did his first couple of years in the NFL, now he can barely handle a full load of running capabilities. What a damn joke. How pathetic. And he's making more money to do less work. That's my fear with David Montgomery. And that's why I don't know what the Bears are going to be doing offensively with the run game. I don't know what the strategy is supposed to be for them. What are they going to be doing? How many times will Herbert run the football? How many times will Evans or Ebner run the football? How many times will Fields run the football? Fair question. And then how many times will David Montgomery run the football? And is it worth $10 million for 200 carries? I say no. Now, if he's willing to accept a quote-unquote hometown discount, three years, $7 million apiece, I could deal with that. I think it'd be a good move. But if David Montgomery is going to be commanding a lot of money, excess money, for really no reason. I mean, it's not like he's some superstar. He's David Montgomery. He's a good running back. I'd put him in the top 15 tier of running backs in the NFL. Not top 10, not top 5. Is he worth $10 million? No. Now, the market could say he's worth it this year if the running back class is scarce, but should the Bears be paying $10 million for a running back who's only going to run the football 200 times at most? No. Emphatic no. Should not happen. And that's not me being being mean about David Montgomery. It's me being sensical and logical with the money and the cap space that the Bears have available. Why would you waste $10 million of your precious $97 million in cap space on a running back who you're barely going to use or who you're not going to use at full strength? That's my thing. That's the issue with paying David Montgomery what he may want or what the market even may dictate. If he gets paid and he goes somewhere else, good for him. I have no ill will. Unlike the Roquan Smith situation, I'd be happy if he got paid and went somewhere else. Good for him. He deserves it. Great running back. But I'm just saying for the Bears' situation, for how many running backs they have, including Justin Fields on the roster, it's too much. Too much money for not enough production or enough carries. Montgomery did say, I know I, I read you the quote, I love the Bears. I love the organization. I love how the city treated me. They got a good thing going over there, and I hope I'll be back. And that's great. I hope he'll be back, too. I really do. He's a good guy. Not many issues off the field. There's no drama. There's just hard work and dedication and two dimensions to his game, which is the key. Khalil Herbert could theoretically be the number one running back, but he can't block and he can't catch. Herbert is strictly a quick darting runner. And I think he's a great running back. He's better at running and gaining yards than David Montgomery ever will be. But can Herbert block and catch like Montgomery? No. Those two work together very well. And I'd be okay with a new reunion of a two-back system with Herbert and Montgomery and nobody else. And I guess you have Fields running too. That's fine. And if you want to pay David Montgomery $9 million to do that and to keep it intact, great. But if you add other running backs to the mix, if Justin Fields is going to carry the ball even more this season, potentially... If they want an expanded role for Khalil Herbert this year, it may not be worth paying David Montgomery that much money for that little rep. Reps, really. That's where my concern comes in. As a man, I like him. As a player, I love him. And I think he'd do well in a number of different situations. Any team that's running back needy would be happy and and should be glad to bring in David Montgomery. He'll give you 900 to 1,000 rushing yards, 400 to 500 receiving yards, 
and he'll block. And he'll carry the ball 250 times if you let him. If you want him to be the number one guy and carry the ball 300 times, he, he could do it. He has the body, the wherewithal, and the ability physically to keep up. But will the Bears use him like that? No. So then again, what are you putting your money into? What value will you get for the money you spent? I'm a big value guy when it comes to money. And the Bears, in this case, they have so much cap space. They have so many other needs around their team. That's the other thing. If the Bears had this much cap space and their team was perfect, go ahead, drop $10 million on David Montgomery. $10 million per year. Why not? Tons of cap space, no other needs, no issues. Go ahead. Drop all this money. But the Bears have tons of other needs. <laughs> tons of issues. Tons of things that certainly need to be addressed. So at that point, well, is David Montgomery, in the grand scheme of things, going to be worth that much money? No, it's not. So I think the Bears should probably consider the possibility that they may not have him next year. It's good to know that Montgomery wants to be back. It's nice to see that he isn't causing drama already. He's very cordial happy about his time here in Chicago, and he's done a great job for all intents and purposes. Remember, this was a Ryan Pace pick in the late rounds of the draft. This was not a first-round pick. This was not a hyped-up pick. This was not a trade-for pick. Late-round pick, Iowa State, turns into something great. What David Montgomery has done, with pretty much zero expectations, is phenomenal. He deserves money. He deserves payment. He deserves an expanded role. I just don't know if the Bears could even promise that to him. And if they can't promise him 250 carries, 200 carries even, because they have a running quarterback and now they got Khalil Herbert, Darrington Evans, Preston Ebner potentially, another running back that they'll sign. It's not worth keeping David Montgomery. And I compare this, by the way, to Lamar Jackson and the situation out in Baltimore. They've gone through so many running backs over the years. Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, all back and forth. At the end of the day, Lamar Jackson is the guy. Any running back could be in that situation and do just fine as a secondary running back. Lamar Jackson is the main man. He's the running back. He's the quarterback. He's the offense. They recalibrated their entire offensive scheme around him. That's great. But if you're a running back, you're screwed. You're only going to get 600, 700 yards per season. You're not going to be amazing. You're going to be okay. But you won't be the guy. It's not like back in the old days or even on other teams where they're carrying the ball 250, 300 times. You're not Derrick Henry. You're J.K. Dobbins or you're Mark Ingram at the end of his career on top of it. That's the issue. So if they plan on doing something like that similar here in Chicago with Justin Fields, there may not be a need to pay David Montgomery $10 million per year when you could have anybody else run the football a couple of times because Justin Fields will be the guy. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's the way you got to look at it with David Montgomery. As a person, as a player, as a talent on the field, he checks every box. But simply put, is this scheme going to be suited for him? And are the Bears going to get out of him what they put in? And I don't mean production dipping. I mean literally getting enough carries to supplement what they're paying him, to justify it. I don't think that's going to happen. And that's why I would say if David Montgomery wants to stay in Chicago, better be prepared to take a discount. There is no need to pay him $10 million if he's going to carry the ball 200 times. 
or if he's not going to be the number one guy because of Justin Fields and then all these other running backs are going to need their carries. It's literally Baltimore. And Baltimore is not paying J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram $10 million. They're making smaller salaries. Lamar Jackson's the guy, and that's it. And here it's going to be Justin Fields, the Justin Fields show, and a supplementary couple of running backs who could run behind the scenes and play as decoys when Fields isn't running the football. So that's going to be the big question for the Bears and what they're going to do with David Montgomery. I like him. think he's a great guy. I think his talent is there for the right price. Keep him. But if it's going to be $10 million per year, unless the Bears plan on using him 200 to 250 times, not worth it. Take a look at some of your comments here. I wouldn't trust Miles Sanders because down the stretch he was not a factor, but that because of Jalen Hurts is possible. And, Aaron, you could be 100% right. There's another situation, another one, where Jalen Hurts came out of the scene. He was rushing more and more as the season went on. And Miles Sanders was a second fiddle. Wasn't the main guy. Wasn't the main reason why the Eagles went to where they were was Jalen Hurts. He was the guy and then a supplemental running back. Lamar Jackson, the guy, supplemental running back, Justin Fields. The guy, David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, Darrington Evans, Justin Ebner, supplemental running back. That's the problem. That's the scary part. $16 million for two years is fair. Four years, $40 million, $20 million guaranteed. That's fair. Maybe trade Monty? That's an idea, too. Patrick, Alaska in the house. I, su- I say trade the first bank. We have as many picks in the draft as we can possibly finagle. Yes. Dan Tana, yo. Dan, great to see you. And Adam Dobbs is a potentially bonus laden deal. Incentives for 1K or touchdowns, bonus for all pro. I like that too. And see, the Bears could be creative. The Bears could be creative. It could be nice if it turns into a situation where, hey, we're going to pay you $6 million in a base, and if you reach these incentives, we're going to pay you $12 million. Awesome. That's what they should be doing. So there are ways they could do this to make it work, and I would hope Montgomery and his camp are going to be willing to listen. But if he wants straight up $10 million, it just can't happen unless the Bears have a plan and a promise to use him so much throughout the season. I think that's going to be the key with them. This is Sports Talk Chicago here with John Zaglow. John Meadows directing and producing. Remember, you can follow us all over the place on Twitter at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglow, and you can find us live on Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube at Sports Talk Chicago. I want to get into some baseball now. Oh, boy, this should be a fun one. Had a lot of fun talks this week with all of you, actually, on Facebook and Twitter as I reacted to the new rules that have been going on in baseball. So they made the bases bigger now. They've instituted permanently a ghost runner on second base beginning in the 10th inning, amongst many other rules that have been changing over the years, and got a pretty strong reaction from some of you, especially on Facebook. And if you notice the title of this segment, I titled this one, Little Major League Baseball, or LMLB, not MLB, LMLB. When I see the changes that are coming and that have continued to come in baseball here in the past year, two years, they've banned the shift. They've made the bases bigger, like T-ball bases. Literally, T-ball bases, go look it up. Go look up the difference between the two bases. Putting ghost runners on second base in the 10th inning. This is not California League baseball. This is not Babe Ruth baseball. This is not Little League baseball. It's the major freaking leagues. The majors, 
But yet, I titled this segment Little Major League Baseball because that's what they are. They're a bunch of babies, all of them, banning the shift. You know what? Be better as a player. Can't steal bases? Be better as a player. You don't need to make the bases bigger. What are we doing here? Why is Major League Baseball caving to all of these demands where we're watering down the sport? To the point where we have to adjust the rules. Baseball has to adjust the rules for everybody else to succeed. What about you? Work harder. Stop swinging for the fences. Stop pulling the baseball. Run more. Implement stolen bases into your strategy. Don't go into extra innings. Be the better team. I am so sick of all these things that I'm seeing. And I have to tell you, I don't even know what this sport is anymore. This is literally Little League Baseball put to the majors. And it's not just me. Got Major League Baseball players. On my Facebook account, the same thing. Derek Barton, who may or may not be watching right now, said that this or these rule changes are making the game as soft as puppy poo. That was his quote. As soft as puppy poo. Former minor league prospect told me on Facebook that Manfred should be fired. My goodness. Everybody knows what's going on here, and it's a damn joke. Not just me. I'll get off your lawn. No, it's not. Former players are saying the same thing. Got BBWAA members commenting on the post saying, you're crazy. No, you're crazy. Really? This is the product you want? This is the product you've been clamoring for? A shift-less, bigger-based nightmare with ghost runners? Universal DHs, this is high school baseball, this is travel baseball, this is Bay Ruth baseball, this is T-ball, this is not Major League Baseball. I watch Major League Baseball, not T-ball. Want to go watch T-ball? Go watch one of my siblings' games. Go to their games. Then I'll watch T-ball. I'll watch Little League Ball, whatever it is. This is Major League Baseball. I tune in to watch the pros play. I tune in to see the best of the best, but really, it may not be the best of the best anymore. It may just be players who are able to influence the commissioner to make rule changes so that they could succeed. Instead, I've turned it around and saying, hey, maybe the problem's on me. Maybe I should get to work in the offseason and improve my game and stop swinging for the fences, stop trying to hit against the shift, steal more bases, do things differently instead of getting all caught up in this sabermetric bullcrap. What are we going to do next? Have the dad come out? Have, have, have the manager come out and lob it in after a ball four? I mean, what the hell is going on here? This is not the game that I grew up watching. And I know I'm young, but this is not the game that you grew up watching either. And I know it because we've seen it. This is just a black mark in the game, I have to say. Other people don't want to say it, but it's true. It's a black mark on the game, and I don't care if this is the most get-up-off-my-lawn thing you've ever heard. I don't care if I sound like a boomer right now. You cannot tell me that any of this is good or exciting or positive. If you're a youngster who wants to watch Little League Baseball in the majors, then you're going to be really excited. But if you're somebody who tunes into Major League Baseball because it's major, it's the show, it's a big deal, you're not happy about this. It's a joke. How could this be good? 
bases bigger? I mean, have you seen the side-by-side comparison? It might as well be T-ball bases. Why? Why Why are we doing this? Adding the shift, bunt against the shift. Come on, put your pride down and bunt against it. Force them to round out the field better, then hit the ball the way you want. Oh, it's going to increase batting averages for guys like Joey Gallo and pull hitters. Joey Gallo sucks anyway. Strikes out 200 times a year. Barely even plays. I'm making all these rules for a specific majority now of players who are unwilling to make adjustments at the plate. Who cares if offense is down? It's Major League Baseball. We're not supposed to be scoring 10 runs per game. This isn't Little League ball, but yet, again, here we are, Little League Baseball. Now, there are rules, too, for pitchers. You can't put in a position player till the eighth or ninth inning when the team's up by eight or more runs. I mean, might as well put the slaughter rule in effect, the mercy rule. Ten runs after five, right? Game over. Let's make this as little league as possible. We should. Already going that way. The pendulum is swinging back that way. You might as well do it. Do it. Put in a slaughter rule then. Right? I mean, what else could we think of? I'm trying to think of other stupid rules in Little League ball. How about no stealing to the ball can't, uh, to the ball crosses the plate, and then we'll make the bases 60 feet instead of 90. That'll increase stolen bases, right? 60 feet length instead of 90. Might as well do it. Why not? Do it. We'll make the ball rubber, like in T-ball, instead of hard. We'll use aluminum bats instead of wood. There's so many other... Where's Commissioner Manfred? we got to get him on the phone. Talk to Rob Manfred about all these changes. I think it'd benefit the game, right? Imagine an aluminum bat and a rubber ball. It'd be like 100,000 home runs a year. There's your offense. (laughs) I'm just extremely disappointed in what's happening here. This is not the game that I grew up watching, and that's why I'm so hurt. I love baseball. It's my first love when it comes to sports, even before football and the Bears. I was watching ball all the time, not just Cubs and White Sox, everybody. I loved the 2000s. End of the steroid era, back to regular baseball. A lot of good players, guys who just hit the crap out of the baseball. There was no walking. There was no, no, it's called swing the bat, hit the ball, right? Now the game's become so sabermetric. And so statistics driven to the point where we're counting war more important than batting average. Then on top of it, we're making new rules to help sabermetrics and to help these players who are corrupted by their ego. This is my problem with these rule changes. More than anything. These are not necessary changes. These are changes brought on by players who have not made the proper adjustments at the plate or in the field or just offensively. Making adjustments get better, don't bank Major League Baseball to make an adjustment for you. That's the difference. And that's what pisses me off about this. It's not a boomer stance. It's not I don't like change. It's that the change that we're seeing is coming about because players aren't willing to get better. Players aren't willing to make the adjustments at the plate, so instead they beg Major League Baseball saying, we need help! So Rob Manfred comes in and helps them. That is my problem. That is my issue. And nobody can convince me otherwise on this. These changes suck ass. They're horrible. I just really hope that 
I don't know. I, I hope that maybe one day they could be reversed. It doesn't seem like it. So enjoy your new product. Enjoy little Major League Baseball, the LMLB. I'm always going to call it that. So you're going to be annoyed now. LMLB, nothing else, because that's what it is. We are bringing the little leagues back to life in the majors. We're bringing ghost runners to second base. So I saw broadcasters today. I saw broadcasters on Twitter arguing about the term ghost runner. It should be called imaginary runner. It should be called misplaced runner. Are you freaking kidding me? Why the hell's there a ghost runner in the first place? Freaking joke. I'm done. I'm done with this crap. Oh, my goodness. Can't take it. Look at some of your comments here. I knew baseball was heading in a bad direction when they stopped the players from charging the catchers on a play at the plate. And actually, that is what Derek Barton commented, too. I responded to him on Facebook, and he said, it started getting bad when you couldn't take out the catcher and you couldn't take out a player at second base on a double play. He said, that's when it started to get bad. And I'm fully in agreement with that. I know that it's a safety risk. I understand, but it's a game. Everyone's physical, and that's part of the game. You know, as a second baseman and a shortstop, part of your value was, hey, can I hop over a runner and turn a double play? It's an art of the game. It's it's an art. Brett Boone said it on this show. It's an art. Now it's over. Catchers being able to hold strong behind the plate, tag out a runner, absorb a hit, part of the game. It's an art. Over. Now we have no more ships, so everybody could just be a dead pole hitter. So there's no more art to hitting anymore. There's no more art to stealing a base anymore because the bases are bigger. I mean, what happened to this skillful part of the game? Everybody wants to hit a home run, walk, or strike out. What happened to being a skilled player? What happened to a guy like, I don't know, Willie McGee? Looking up his numbers today, Willie McGee was a great player. Didn't get his due. Willie McGee was great. Right? Skilled player. Ran. Hit the crap out of the baseball. 200 hits a season. 300 batting average. 325. But yet, Bohr says, oh, he was only a 30-win player. He wasn't even close to being a Hall of Famer. Willie McKee was a great player, right? So these sabermetric stats are skewing the way players play games, and now they're causing rule changes, and they're forcing players to now be worried more about, hey, what's my on-base percentage? Well, how many times am I walking per game, per year? Oh, I don't want 3,000 hits. I want 1,000 walks in my career. When was it okay to sit there and look for a walk instead of get a hit? Now we have to acknowledge an imaginary runner, LOL. Yes, we do. Be ready for that. It's going to be the last out of the inning before. So, which is literally my uh, Little League Baseball. That's how it was when I played when I was a kid. Yep, pitching clocks are coming as well, Aaron. Already starting this year, and they're going to be coming much harder in the years to come. Paul Oliver with the comment of this segment, why don't they make the ball bigger or hit off a tee? Why not? Let's make the ball a beach ball, and we'll hit off the tee. If they can't hit it off the tee, the coach will come in and just flip it to him like softballs. Go ahead, hit it deep. Freaking joke. What a horrible, horrible development for the game. The game that I grew up watching that I loved, and now I will always refer to it as Little Major League Baseball because that's what it is. Little Major League Baseball. Not the big show anymore. It's not the show anymore. It's the little show. The minuscule show. <laughs> what a damn joke. Sports Talk Chicago here with John Zaglul, John Meadows directing and producing. Great to see all of you here with us. we got another segment to go. 
Talking about our hometown Chicago Bulls. I'll tell you, time to think Arturis Karnaschovas is the reincarnation of John Paxson and Gar Foreman. <laughs> Anybody else think so? The Bulls at the trade deadline, they were a couple of games under 500 in the 10 spot in the play-in tournament. They made zero moves. Zero. Actually, one of the only two teams in the entire NBA to not make any moves, them and the Cavaliers, but the Cavaliers are actually good. I mean, there's no need for the Cavaliers to make a specific move. But the Bulls, they could have gone in a couple of directions. They could have played to win and acquired more talent, or they could have sold everybody, done a fire sale, and started fresh. But no, they stayed the course. In the past five games, they're shooting 19% from three-point range. Worst amongst any team ever in NBA history in five games, in a five-game span. Worst ever. 19% last five games from three-point range. So Arturis Konechoba said, you know what? This team is perfect the way it is. Keep it. Keep this team. Keep these players. They're great. Shooting 19% from three-point range in the past five games. Great team. I think they're competitors. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) What a damn joke. What a damn joke. How sad and pathetic has this team been all year? It's been up and down 500. They've been losing games to teams they should have beat. They lost to the damn Rockets with this team with their starters in. Shouldn't that have been enough of a clue to blow things up? And they didn't do it. Now they're shooting 19% from three past five games right after the trade deadline. No moves, no buying, no selling, same. If they make the playoffs, they're going to be bounced round one. And if they make it past round one or past the play-in tournament, they should still be bounced. I don't care how many games they win unless they win the finals this year and somehow get in, this entire team needs to be blown up. Now. Patrick Williams is a bust. A bust. It's over. Get rid of him. And look, I praised Arturis for the moves that he made early. Wendell Carter, Laurie Markkinen. But I have to say, maybe it wasn't necessarily a Laurie Markkinen or a Wendell Carter problem. Maybe it was a culture problem. It was a coaching problem. Remember, Markkinen started with, at the time, Fred Hoiberg, then Jim Boylan. Obviously, that was a whole disaster. Wendell was with Jim Boylan, another disaster. Arturis comes in, sends him out, which was nice, and yet now they're succeeding. They're doing good. Laurie Markin is going to be in the three-point competition on All-Star Weekend. Laurie Markin in. The hell's going on? And now Billy Donovan has said on the record that if Russell Westbrook's out there, the Bulls may want him, and I think that's just the best way to end the year, in my opinion. Couldn't do it any better. Let this team go down in flames. And this is not a slight on Russell Westbrook. I actually like Russell Westbrook. But it's obvious that the game has transcended him. It's gone up, It's gone past his head. Okay? Russell Westbrook is a drive guy, and he's a stat patter to an extent. Hey, he misses a shot, gets his own rebound, puts it back in. There's your triple-double. And the only way he's going to be effective is is if the ball's in his hands 24-7. Has to be in his hands 24-7 or else. Useless. Doesn't work. The Bulls bringing in Russell Westbrook onto a crowded team of overpaid players like DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Nikola Vucevic. It ain't going to work, I'm telling you right now. It's not going to work. 
So the bulls want to bring them in for a minimum salary in the buyout market. Great. That will really set them back. This reminds me so much of Fred Hoiberg's, maybe his first year here, where they had Dwayne Wade when he was all old and washed up, Jimmy Butler, and they made the playoffs somehow. Rajon Rondo was there. They'd lost in the first round, and everybody thought, oh, my gosh, this is such a good team. No, they sucked. They were horrible. And at that time, there should have been something blown up, but there wasn't. Everybody believed, and they kept moving forward, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And now we sit here today, and what? It's going to be Jack Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, and potentially Russell Westbrook. Five years ago, that'd be a hell of a team. Today, nothing. Nobody can play together. Nobody's winning. No one's doing anything productive. I just don't understand what happened. I don't get what happened to this team. You know, just two years ago, Arturis and Mark Eversley came in, and they had a plan. Seemed like. I got rid of everybody on this team except Zach Levine and Kobe White from the previous regime. Drafted, signed players, they ramped up, and the best this and the best this team did was 46 wins. And now they're under 500, losing, maybe a fringe playoff team. This is a damn joke. This is Gar Pax, or yeah, Gar Foreman, John Paxson at work. This is Gar Pax part two. You know, I said when they hired Arturis, I said, this is a new era in Bulls history. It's exciting. But now I sit here today and I wonder if it really was or still is a new era. I'm wondering if this is just Garpax again, and then again and again and again. It's going to be years of the same and mediocre play and maybe a fifth or a sixth seed at best in the conference, and that's it. I'll tell you, it's scary. If you're a Bulls fan, I would be scared right now because the Bulls brought in so many people, made all these changes, and the best they're doing right now is 27 and 30. What's that mean for their future? What's that mean for next year and the year after? What are they going to do to improve? My thought is right now, sell everything. If you're paying Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, you may want to pay Nikola Vucevic too, and it's not working, it's time to blow up that core and start fresh. And I'd be okay with the Bulls rebuilding. It's going to be tough again. It's going to be worthless basketball. But what's the point of paying all these people and seeing nothing happen and seeing no results for your efforts and your labor? It's not good. It's not right. Whatever happened to Alonzo Ball, too, we still have nothing. We don't know anything about what's going on with him. Absolutely no idea what's going on with Alonzo Ball. Talk about a train wreck. My gosh. Horrible. It's a damn shame, too. It just, it is. You want to see the best from this team. And you thought, we all thought this would be the best. We all thought there would be something big coming from this. Arturis, Mark Eversley, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic. Moves being made, and it's turned into nothing. Turned into filthy rags, a joke. If I were the Bulls right now, I would sell everything and start from scratch. But I will say this, and this is true, and this is a scathing indictment, but it needs to be said. The fact that nothing was done either way at the trade deadline is a joke. Make a damn decision. Hey, if you're going to say we're going to be in this, then make a big trade, make a splash, make a move, and tell everybody we're back. If it's the op- if it's the opposite, then do that. 
If you want to blow this team up now, do it. Don't just stay complacent when you are complacent as it is. You're the 10th seed. You're in the middle. You're not going to get a top pick. And you're not going to be contending for the finals. So what are you going to do? What's the direction for this team? We don't even know. We have no idea. And I think that's where a lot of frustration is for, for Bulls fans, like myself. What is the direction? What's the plan? Where are we going on this journey? Nobody seems to know. And nobody gave any clear indication about that during the trade deadline. And that pisses me off. And it should for you, too. There are good guys on this team. There are some talented players on this team who were talented. Some still are, but they're not performing at the old level in which they were. Arturis has made a lot of mistakes, unfortunately, now. The moves were good at the time, but now they're biting him in the ass. And Billy Donovan could be in trouble. And what does Billy Donovan want to do? Bring in Russell Westbrook. I mean, what what is going on here? What are we doing? That's the solution to the problem? Yeah, let's bring in Russell Westbrook. He was just cut by... Los Angeles, essentially, and nobody wanted him there, and nobody wants him in the NBA. His career's probably over. Only shoots 29% from three. Have to keep going. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Bulls shot 19% from three the past five games. Worst ever in NBA history. Let's bring in somebody who has a career shooting percentage from three at 29%. Great idea, guys. Let's do it. Buyout market. Oh, it's but it's Billy Donovan's best friend. What is going on here? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, this is, I'm laughing because it's comical. 19% from three the past five games. Let's bring in somebody who's a career 29% three-point shooter. (laughs) Where's that even coming from? Why is that idea being floated? It makes no sense. It's literally turned into a joke, a laughing stock. That's why I'm cracking up over here. Because that's the solution and the answer to what's going on in Chicago. No, you blow it up. That's it. Or make some sort of decisive move. Russell Westbrook coming in is not going to make you a contender. But it also says you're not blowing up. So we're back in the middle again. And here we go again. No moves at the trade deadline. You're going to bring in Russell Westbrook. What will all of this do for you? It won't help out your draft odds. And it won't help you get to the finals. So what are we doing here then? What's the objective? What's the plan? What's it going to be? What, what's it going to look like? Nobody knows. And here we go. Arturis and Ebersley are just a new version of Garpax. We're back to where we all wanted to leave. I remember the day they fired Garpax. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. We did a show before pre-YouTube. We were so excited. But yet we sit here today just a couple of years later, and it's like, oh, my goodness, it's still happening. Get us out of this nightmare. I just think it's damn sad. And it's pathetic for a team that, yes, was once the top of everything. Ever since Michael Jordan left, this team just hasn't put it together. And here we are still, what, 25 years later after the Bulls' last NBA Finals win? And they still can't put it together. And they're still searching and searching and searching. And you know what? Based on what they've done so far, they're going to keep on searching for many more years to come pathetic and sad. Dantana, uh-oh, John's pissed. Hell yeah, I am. <laughs> Take a look at Russell Westbrick. Yep. <laughs> One thing I would do if I was off shooting threes, I would focus on passing and picks that game. Good point, B. Wicked. 
P. Will, Patrick Williams, he was a number four pick, super bust. Dan, you're right. And Patrick Williams actually is the second least efficient starter in the NBA. Thank you, Michael, for that comment. And that's just more of a scathing indictment on what he brings to the table for this team. How is he not on the street yet and being cut? Because this is a joke. And who drafted him? That was AK's first draft pick. Carter Silvis' first ever pick. Watch out for Patrick Williams, the sixth man of the year in college. Red flag number one. Because if you're a sixth man in the NBA, you're a failed starter. You're good as a sixth man, but you're a failed starter, first and foremost. This guy was a sixth man in college. All right, we got a problem. At number four, even worse. And Bucevic, yep, his three-pointer be off, but he just keeps shooting them instead of going to the paint. Softy. Ooh, Dan, all over the place tonight. You're, you're doing a great job in that comment section, I'll tell you. <laughs> DeMar DeFrozen and Westbrook would be brutal. <laughs> DeMar DeFrozen. I haven't heard that one. I know Westbrook, but DeMar DeFrozen. I like it. DeMar DeFrozen, Russell Westbrook. Anyone could make up some for Zach Levine, let me know. And we'll, we'll, we'll add him to the mix as well. Maybe Vucevic, too, if you could find something with that name. But Anyway, um, I think that's a good place to stop. But I appreciate all of you tuning in. We had such a great time tonight. Uh, I have to say it was so much fun to be with all of you tonight. We had just a spirited conversation and so much fun here. Um, please feel free to follow us. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Sports Talk Chicago. We were live tonight on Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube, all at Sports Talk Chicago. Find us there. Find me personally at John Z Sports, Instagram, Twitter, John Zaglul on Facebook. John Meadows, our guy, as always, directing, producing, making sure everything goes well here in our beautiful studios in Chicagoland. Appreciate all of you tuning in. We're going to be back live on Sunday, and we're going to post some clips here throughout the week as well. Also, hey, some news coming up soon, uh, news about the show, both uh, on a couple of different platforms. So make sure to stay tuned for that as well. Appreciate all of you. Have a great week. We will see you soon. So long, everyone.